0: of our heart, that God, what we believe, what we sing is just an overflow of what we go through day in and day out. And God, I pray, I pray today that we would experience, just as we said, more of your presence. God, as we look at this passage in Isaiah, that we would understand exactly what it means to be in your presence, to worship you, and thank you for what you've done. And I pray today, God, that you would awaken the church, that the church would not sit On the sideline and watch as the world destructs, but God, we would be involved and active, that we would love and serve those who are far from you, that we would stand on the truth of the gospel of what we just sang, and God, yet we would serve and love those, even those who are violently opposed to us. And so, God, I pray today that you would have your way, that Jesus would be first and foremost in our lives, and that he would be front and center in everything that goes on here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we've been going through a series called Own the Vision. Our Own the Vision series is really this. Um, It's about owning the vision of the church. And while I say that, this is us wrapping up Own the Vision. And next week, we're going to be starting a series called Battle Ready. And it's really the idea of moving forward with faith. And so we're going to look at the lives of of Joshua and Caleb. We're going to be looking at at, uh, the book of Numbers. We're going to be looking at, at, obviously, Joshua, the book of Joshua, and how they move forward in faith into what God had called them to do uh, and they walked in obedience. And I believe that when we as a church walk forward in faith, when we as people of God walk forward in faith, that we will experience things that we've never dreamed about or imagined. We'll experience God's promises. We'll experience hope in our lives and he will bless the people of the church as well as the church uh, as he builds us. We're going to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be here over the next couple weeks following that because I think this is going to be a hopefully a life-changing or even church-changing uh, series in that. And I want to ask you this question. When I say the term missions, you don't have to answer this, but when I say the term missions, I'm curious what comes to your mind. Because a lot of times when we say the word missions, we automatically think, oh yeah, that's those people over there. That's that's for them, not me. That's for those guys who want to go to Africa, and they want to go to India, or they want to go to the Middle East, or they want to go to South America. That's fine. They can go. That's missions. You know, we say missions, we oftentimes think a lot of Baptists, if you're old school Baptist, you think, uh-oh, now it's time to get out the pocketbook, because now we're going to talk about supporting a missionary, all right? But here's what I want you to think about when you think about missions. In reality, missions is literally us doing what? God's work. That's the reality of missions. And oftentimes, what we did in the church is we created an us versus them, us being those who go to church and them being those who go on mission. And the reality is, in some way, shape, or form, we missed out on or we missed the big picture of what it means to be a missionary on my or in my daily life, what it means to be a missionary on a daily basis. And so what we're going to do is look at what it means to be on mission. Now, we've been covering this series called Own the Vision, and I want you to understand what every week covered. So we said the first week was about believing the truth of Jesus Christ. We as a church want to take the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard it. And we want to lead them, hopefully, to see their need for Jesus, their desire for Jesus, their brokenness, their sinfulness, and and so that they would put their faith and trust in Christ. So we want to lead people to believe the truth of Jesus Christ, to belong to a cause bigger than themselves. And we say that cause is the church. The church has a very important mission to play. And regardless of what you think about the church, you always have to remember Jesus' words because Jesus says, I will build my church, not you. Not what you do, not anything about you. It's not about the deacons. It's not about the pastors. It's not about the people in the church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prosper against it, will not stand against it. All right, so we want to have people who are going to belong to a cause bigger than themselves. And church is more than one individual. The beauty about the church is this it's not even just our church. It's every church around the city. Matter of fact, every, every month um, I get together with pastors in a couple of different areas. I get together with uh, guys from the Blue River Baptist, uh, Blue River Kansas City Baptist Association. All of them are older except me. I'm like the young guy, and for those of you who don't know, I'm 42, so that's not really young anymore. Um, you know, 40s is the new 20, I think is what they say, uh, but that's not really true, all right, because I don't feel like I'm 20 anymore, all right. But I get together with these older guys on, on, on one occasion, and I see how much different I am and things like that. But guess what? They are all pastors of churches around the area, and we come together, and we talk about what we can do to reach people with the gospel. And then I get together. A matter of fact, this Wednesday, I got together with a, a group of them. We've been averaging about six, but this last weekend, we have 15. And they're church planters, only church planters in the Kansas City area all of these guys. matter of fact, Dan Sutherland, who is the pastor at Westside Family Church in Lenexa, it's the largest church uh, other than, I think, Church of the Resurrection in our area for the most part. Uh, Dan has been basically pouring into us leaders, um, and it's a great opportunity. And what I see as a hope and a necessity is that these guys are cross-denomination. We got uh, Church of the Four Corners right here in Independence. I meet with Craig Cackley. He's part of that group. Uh, we've got Jake uh, Jake is uh, the pastor at Maywood Baptist Church. He's part of that group. Alex Gilpin is a part of our group, and he's over at Revive uh, Church that meets or was meeting in Van Horn. They're now uh, meeting in a church building they just bought up that's right there near Van Horn. Um, and I'm, I'm encouraged, I'm excited. And what I see is this, that people are coming together because the church is not about one denomination. The church is not about one individual. The church is not about any of that, that the church is working across a broad spectrum to see people come To faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, keep that in mind, because when I said the term missions, most people go, well, yeah, that's them. Or maybe you even said, well, well, that's your job, pastor. You know, that's kind of what we pay you for, you know. I mean, like, that's your job. No. No. Matter of fact, as we jump into Isaiah chapter 6, I hope you begin to see that we are all called to live a sent life, to be on mission. John Piper says this, It says, missions is not not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship, listen to this, doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. See, when worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When the age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. And I'm gonna add to that, evangelism will be no more. Missions and evangelism will be gone. It's the temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And so while you think about that quote, turn to Isaiah chapter six. We're gonna be in Isaiah chapter six. This is the commissioning of Isaiah. Isaiah is sent to the people of Israel, going to to tell them to proclaim who Jesus is, or really to proclaim God's grace and mercy. And listen to what happens in verse or chapter six, starting in verse one. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. He was high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. And listen to what he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth, is full of his glory. And I love this part in verse four, and if this doesn't kind of give you goosebumps, I don't know what the heck ever will, because this is the reality of what you're gonna experience when you come to -to face-to-face with Jesus Christ in heaven, because this is what it says. At the sound of whose voices? Yeah, the seraphim. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, last I checked, when I speak, smoke's not coming out of my mouth. But listen to what ends up happening. It says, that the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. You get the picture of what's taking place. As a result of worship, there is such a thunderous applause for who Jesus is and what Jesus did and everything that the Lord accomplished that they are standing there proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and everything starts to shake. Now, if we started to have the building start to shake today, I guarantee you what would happen. Everybody be like, get the heck out of Dodge. Earthquake. You'd be running for your lives. We'd all be standing out in the parking lot going, what happened? As a matter of fact, I remember, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, my daughter's birthday was, or we had her, her a couple friends came over for her birthday, and they stayed the night. And Sarah got up early to go running, um, and I stayed in bed. And I'm staying in bed, and you might remember this morning, it was Saturday morning, and all of a sudden, my bed starts to shake. Well, I'm thinking the girls crawled in and they're like at the base of the bed shaking it only then all of a sudden the picture frame above our bed starts going thunk 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 i'm like what the heck that's my first earthquake ever and you might remember it was, the, it was the epicenter was down in oklahoma and stuff i come run out i like run out and open the door run out and, and this guy's like riding by on a bike i'm like hey did you feel that And he's like what <laughs> feel nothing And then my neighbor comes out. He's like, do you feel that? I'm like, yeah, I was just making sure it wasn't just my house. You know, like my house is coming down. What the heck's going on? All right, but listen to what happens. It says the whole place shook. The doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And listen to what happens as a result of the worship of the angels. Listen to what happens in Isaiah's life. Oh, crud, I'm screwed. That's literally what he's saying. I mean, not literally, but listen to what he says. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then listen to what happens in in verse 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And listen to what Isaiah says. And this is the reality of where we should stand each and every day. And I said, here I am send me. See, the reality is this, is that as a result of what goes in on our life day in and day out, what takes place in the worship of our life reflects in what we do in our life. And when we have an attitude that missions is about them and not me, it's really the result of a lack of worship in my life, not the fact that God has called them in a different way than me. Now, Let me clarify, because some of you are going, well, wait a second, are you telling me now that that means I'm supposed to move overseas and I'm gonna be a missionary full time? No, no, that's not the case. Not necessarily. Some of you may be called to that. Somebody may be called up. And guess what? Here's the the beauty of that. It doesn't matter your age. I know people, matter of fact, I went to seminary with a guy who served 30 years, worked at AT AT&T for 30 years, was a lineman. 55 years old came to seminary. I'm like, why are you coming to seminary? He's like, I feel like God called me to ministry. Oh, you're 55 years old, dude. You're like about to retire. He's like, yeah, all the more time, I might as well just get this done. I'm gonna go to seminary. I'm gonna be a counselor, and I'm gonna go on missions. I was like, sweet. Age is not a separation factor. God calls who he calls in a specific way. So it may be overseas missions for you, it may be a local pastor. It may just be the simple fact that where you are working at day in and day out that you are called to be on mission with the people you are working with. That's the reality of what Isaiah is coming into contact with. And so I want you to remember, if you remember anything else, I want you to remember this, that God is a saving God and a sending God. He didn't just save you so you sit back and be comfortable. He saved you so now that you are going to be sent. You are not to be held onto. You are to be launched out. And I want you to think about this big picture, because this is what we've talked about consistently for the four and a half years I've been here, almost five, is this, that we want to be a church that is about raising up leaders who are going to see the reality and necessity to multiply ourselves, to see people come to Christ. And it's not about just three trails. It's not just about our church here, but we want to see churches in our independence community succeed. We want to see churches multiply. We want to see churches grow. It's not about, and I've said this from the get-go, it's not about us running 300. I would rather be a church of 60, 70, 80 that's consistently asking people to leave and go somewhere else. And I'm not meaning in a bad way. I mean in a way because God has raised them up to be leaders, to go out and lead. Maybe it means to pastor. Maybe it means to go plant a church. Maybe it means to, to go on mission somewhere. Maybe it means to, to, to take your stuff out and you're gonna work with recovery ministry. I don't know what that looks like, but what I'm telling you is this, that God raises up leaders and calls up leaders, not based upon what goes on here on Sunday mornings, but based upon the worship that takes place in our life day in and day out. And so God is not just a saving God, but he is a sending God. And so here's the question. How do we live a sent life? How do I live a sent life? How do I live on mission day in and day out? And I think that we can see that in through three simple things as we break down this text today. Number one, we let worship of God be ultimate. The worship of God should be ultimate in each and everything that we do. Do you realize that everything you do is an act of worship to God? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a follower of Christ, everything you do is a response in worship to God. Whatever your hands and feet find to do, do it all for the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. It just lays it out. And so we want to let worship be the ultimate thing. We want to let the worship of God be ultimate. First and foremost, that's why we will always be unashamedly, wholeheartedly committed that we're not going to let any one person or any one style dictate how worship's going to take place here. Because our whole point in what we do beforehand is just to worship God for who he is. We focus on the words, not necessarily music. And what I want to challenge you with is this. If the music bothers you, guess what? It's going to bother you in heaven. Because you're probably not going to be even speaking in English. Or maybe you will be speaking in English. Somebody else is going to be speaking in their tongue. And you're going to be like, dude, I understand them. I know what they're saying. Maybe there won't be any instruments. Maybe it will just be the voices shaking the doorposts and the thresholds. The worship of God is ultimate in our life. And I want you to notice three things that stuck out to Isaiah in the vision of the Lord that he had. Number one, he was seated on a throne. It represents this reality that he was royalty. He was in a high place. He was the king of kings. And so we begin to see that he was high and exalted. In other words, he's lifted up and the train filled the temple. See, God's glory was always evident In the past, between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. God dwelt there. Matter of fact, if you read part of the Old Testament, it says he would literally dwell between the cherubim. They faced outward, their wings faced inward, and God dwelt there. And if you remember that dwelling place, it seems so small. And so Israel's idea is that God is small. And what Isaiah is beginning to portray is that God is not small. God is huge. As a matter of fact, if you jump back to Psalm 96, I want you to think about what we just read earlier, and I'm going to jump on and read verse seven, because listen to what he says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, bring offering and come into his courts. Listen to what he says again now in verse nine, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Then they will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Isaiah is trying to lay out something true and something meaningful that we have to begin to understand is that when we come into the presence of a holy God, when we understand everything that God entails and encompasses, his holiness, his righteousness, his justness, then we have no other option but to worship him for who he is. Why? Because the worship of God should be ultimate. See, Isaiah is calling the Israelites and us today to understand the magnitude and the glory and the majesty of God who we worship and the very God we serve. See, the throne emphasizes that the Lord is the true, the one and the only king of Israel and not just Israel, but the world. And that still stands today high and exalted, symbolizes his authority, his power, and his position before Israel and before the world today. And the robe, when we think about that robe filling, as it says, it filled the temple. It speaks of his royalty and his majesty that that, that they the the very thought that God hates religiosity. I hope you understand this. He hates religiosity, but he wants your worship of him. He desires the worship of him, not because of everything we do, not because of, of, of that, but because of who he is. He doesn't need your religious acts. He doesn't need your religious output. He desires your worship. And so how do I live a sent life? How do I live life on mission? I have to be the person who steps back and I let worship of God be ultimate in everything I do. That means whether I'm playing sports, whether I'm helping customers, whether I'm at home, whether I'm relating to people out in town because I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with a waiter or a waitress, maybe, maybe it's even how you respond to people who are short and rude to you. But how you respond is an act of worship. In each and everything, and the reality is that it's an act of worship to God. John Piper, again, I, I read that quote earlier, but he says this, worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. Think about that. Worship is what drives us to be on mission, but worship is what we're trying to get people to do, is it not? That's the goal of missions. We want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and pursue Worship of Him, everything that He's done for them. We want to make or we want to see people become worshipers of Jesus. So, how do I live a sent life? I let worship of God be ultimate in my life, day in and day out. Missions is the natural overflow of time spent with the Lord in worship. And I question that is this if worship, and we've said this before, if worship only takes place on Sunday mornings here, if it only takes place with the music and the prayer and the reading of scripture here, then worship is not ultimate in your life. It might be a, an act, the religious act, but it's not ultimate. See, missions doesn't work when worship is not preeminent. Worship must be the first and foremost thing. Why? Because it's just a simple overflow. Remember how we said uh, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks? Well, out of the overflow of the heart, as a result of worship going on in my life, the mouth speaks, missions naturally takes place. I live a sent life because of that. So how do I live a scent life? Number one, I let worship of God be ultimate. Number two, I have to know that God's grace is sufficient. Listen to what takes place as soon as that all happens. I mean, I think about the beauty and majesty of everything that's going on. These angels are flying, these seraphim are flying and their, their, their wings are covering their face and their feet and then two wings are flying and they're belting it out. And I don't know what it sounds like. I don't know if it's gonna be like James Earl jones or even better because there are just certain people who just have a voice like, dude, I can listen to that voice all day. I have no clue what it sounds like, but what it says is that when they're chanting that out, when they're singing that out, that everything is just shaking. I don't know what that sounds like. I don't know if that's, I mean, we can't even begin to imagine it. And here's the beauty of it. That's prior. Now think about all the people who have followed Jesus, been obedient to Jesus, who are in heaven right now with Jesus, who are, according to Revelation, singing that very tune right now. And that's just a couple seraphim. Let's just throw everybody else in there that's already up there and we'll see what that's going to be like. Worship of God is ultimate, but I got to know that God's grace is sufficient. Listen to what ends up happening. As a result of seeing God for who he is, as a result of seeing God's majesty, God's royalty, God's glory, the train of his robe fills it, what ends up happening with Isaiah? What's he do? He realizes his brokenness. He realizes his sinfulness. He realizes his ineptitude. He realizes his incapability. He realizes he's in trouble. That's why he says, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live with the people who have unclean lips and I'm in trouble. See, the truth of the matter is this, that when you come into the presence of a holy God, when you enter that presence in worship and you understand everything that God stands for, now all of a sudden you start to see your impurity, your unrighteousness, and your unholiness. And anytime we come into the presence of holy God and there's any sin in our life, the first thing that should be first and foremost on that is what? Confession, repentance. Why? Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. The holiness and righteousness of God cannot be in the presence of the sinful man. And that's the reality of what we see in Isaiah. And Isaiah knows, oh, wait a second here. This is not a good situation. This is not a good standing I need to be in. I'm in trouble. Unless something drastically happens, I'm in trouble. And here's the reality of what we begin to see in life, is that unless something happens in your life, you and I are in trouble. Unless you stand before the king, righteous and redeemed because of what he did, you and I are in trouble. It's called the justice of God. It's called the righteousness of God, that there can be no impurity, no unholiness in his presence. And so therefore, the only way we stand before God, holy and righteous, is as a result of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for our sins. I stand before him righteous and redeemed because of that. Otherwise, I am sinful and broken, unrighteous and unredeemed. And so Isaiah comes to this point and he says, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And here's the beauty of what takes place. Here's the awesomeness of how God is because here's the truth is that in Isaiah standing there going, I'm in trouble, God provides a way as only God can do. God provides a way, God provides the only way. See, Isaiah standing there before him unclean and God provides a way through the seraphim coming down and touching his lips with the coal and saying, your lips aren't unclean, you are pure. And the truth of the matter is this, that we stand pure, we stand righteous, we stand holy before God as a result of what Jesus has done for us. He paid the ultimate price. This was the simple act right there of worship because he flew over, most likely with the tongs of some form off the worship. He grabs the coal in his hand. He flew to me with the life coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, the altar that was presented. The reality is that the altar, the final altar, was the cross of Christ. That was the altar that was offered up. Jesus' death on the cross. It was the final payment. If you read in Hebrews, there's no other payment to be made anymore. And so what we see is this, that he pays the price for the unclean man. He pays the price for us who are unrighteous and unredeemed. And he says, you can be righteous and redeemed through the blood of my son Jesus Christ, and so all we have to do is know that God's grace is sufficient. Paul, at one point, says, "Like God, if you would just remove this thorn in my flesh, everything would be fine." And God says, "Nope, my grace is sufficient." The grace of God overcomes any unrighteousness that we have, because it is by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It's not based upon anything else. It's not based upon your good works. It's not based upon how much you give to the church. It's not based upon all the good social justice things you're a part of. It's all based upon the grace of Jesus Christ. It is unmerited. It is undeserved, but guess what? He offers it freely. It's the gift And so as God's holiness is revealed, we begin to understand and recognize our sin. We repent of our sin. Repentance is a a confessional thing. We repent and we turn away from our sin and we follow Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to do. And so missions, living a sent life is a response because we let worship of God be ultimate. Number two, it's knowing that God's grace is sufficient. That every time I approach God in worship, I have to first look inside and evaluate my life and ask God, if there is anything impure or unclean in my heart, would you forgive me? Confess it before God. I stand before God that his grace is sufficient. He will forgive me. And that's what he's literally calling us to do. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so we know that God's grace is sufficient. Here's what I love to think about is that real transformation or real worship transforms the worshiper. Real worship, in other words, the worship of God, when we let God be ultimate, real worship transforms the worshiper. People who are transformed by the worship of God will be the people who change the world. People who will see people come to Christ as a result of their actions, as a result of their words on a day-in, day-out basis. So how do I live a life of mission? I know God's grace is sufficient. I respond in worship first and foremost, and I know God's grace is sufficient. Number three, how do I live a sent life? I have to respond to God's calling. I respond to God's calling. Listen to what Isaiah says in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. He didn't say, and I've, I've had people say this before. Well, send the guy who lost everything, the dude who's lost his mind, who's gonna go over to third world country and sacrifice his family and go over there. He didn't say, oh man, you know, you know what? Go, go send that guy. Or, hey, have you ever thought about such and such? You know, Isaiah could have been like, hey, you know, God, you know, I I know this guy. and, And he'd be a great person. What's he say? Here am I. Send me. Living a sent life means that I respond to God's call, God, as a result of who you are as I respond in worship, as everything takes place in my life, as I realize, I acknowledge my sinfulness and my brokenness, I know that your grace was sufficient for me and that your grace is sufficient for them as well. Here am I. Send me. When we live a sent life, we live an obedient life. When we live a life that's only focused on ourselves We live a disobedient life. See, real worship as well as 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 God's holiness and grace and mercy leads to transformation of Isaiah's life. The real worship that was taking place in Isaiah's life led to a transformation of Isaiah's life. And transformed worshipers, people who understand or have acknowledged the grace of God, join the mission of God to change the world. That's the reality of what's taking place. That's the reality of what we want to see as a church. And so he's calling out. And here's the thing that you have to begin to understand. He's not calling out, hey, Brian, where are you at? He's calling each and every one of us out, and he's saying, where are you at? That's literally what the God of the Bible is calling out saying. If I have put my faith and trust in Christ, when I let worship of God be ultimate, and I have acknowledged and put my faith and trust in him, and I acknowledge God's grace, then I have to respond to God's calling, because he's literally saying this, whom shall I send, and who will go for me? Matter of fact, there's a part in Matthew, and there's a part in in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where it says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers, And I preached on this in the past, but the reality is also this, that when God calls you out, when he was saying, pray for the harvest, pray for the workers, that God would send out more workers, the first worker he's usually going to send out is who? You and me. We don't look at everybody else and go, oh man, they should be the one going. We look at me. God is literally sitting there saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And He's calling that out day in and day out. Who will go? Who will go? Who will go? And a lot of times our response is, Send that dude. Surely you can't use me. Please use somebody else. Do you know how bad I am? Do you know what all I did? Can I tell you something? That every time you remind God of how bad you are, you trivialize his grace. Every time you remind God of how bad you are, if you have confessed him and you have repented to him, every time you remind God how bad you are, you trivialize his grace. What you're saying is, God, your grace wasn't sufficient enough. I'm just so bad. No, God's grace is sufficient. You just have to respond to the call. So I live a sent life because of what God's done in my life. See, what I want to see is our goal as a church is to mobilize an army of people to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the true call of the church. To mobilize an army of people not with M16s and AK-47s and M4s and all those things, not with swords and shields, but to mobilize an army of people to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mobilize means what? Sit in an office? Sit back and evaluate the battle plan, but don't do anything about it? Sit back and talk about the enemy, but don't challenge the enemy where he's at? sit back and call the enemy names. You idiot. How dare you come in and attack me? No, mobilize means what? Attacking. Take the fight to the enemy. Challenge the enemy on enemy territory. Get behind enemy lines. Do work. Whatever that work is to take the gospel into the darkness, to take the light into the darkness. Why? Because light penetrates darkness. When light penetrates darkness, what happens to darkness? Darkness flees. And remember this, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and authorities of the heavenly realms. So we talk about even next week, we're talking about getting battle ready. Our battle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the enemy. And we take the fight to the enemy. And the enemy has a lot of darkened territory. And the reality is, if you've watched news for any waking moment, 100% of the world is owned by the enemy. I'm just telling you that. You are in enemy territory, period. Your neighborhood, enemy territory. Your house, still enemy territory. Are you controlled by Jesus Christ? Yep. But if you don't think the enemy's not going to attack you, you got another thing coming. The Bible says that he is the God of this age at this point because God has allowed him to do it. God, little g, God, Romans. But we take the battle to the enemy because the enemy doesn't give up. The enemy doesn't stop. The enemy persists. And so we take the battle to the enemy. And so I wanna leave you with this, four practical ways to live a sent life. Number one, inviting people to church. Now that's the simplest form. All right, that's the simplest way. We got those cards on that back table. Every person you run into and contact, man, invite them to church. They supposedly say, I'm just telling you the statistics of an article I read, that 69% of people, don't ask me how they got this, would come to church if they were just simply invited. Now, one of the things I've oftentimes run into is 90% of the people tell me no. (laughs) Okay, so I don't know where they get their numbers. I'm just telling you what we run into but it doesn't stop me from inviting them. i pull out my wallet. I got a waitress. I leave a nice tip. I don't jip her off, no matter how bad a day she is. And I say, hey, I got a church. We'd love to have you come some point. You go to church? Nope. Oh, great. Matter of fact, I'm going to even challenge you to do this. I'm a person who likes quick. And a lot of times that meant I'll go deposit my check in an ATM. Why? Because I don't have to deal with people. And about a year ago, I decided I'm just going to start going in the bank. Now, takes me about five minutes longer, because now I got to fill out everything before I just stick my card in, enter a number, deposit my check, drive off, good to go. I go in the bank now, and what's funny is the other day, I didn't have my ID, and I'm like, hey, I know, I, I know I don't have my number, so is there any way I could deposit this check? She's like, oh yeah, I know who you are. I've invited her to church, come to find out she goes to another church in Kansas City. I'm like, sweet, great, glad, good, awesome. Simple thing, invite somebody to church. Number two, very easy, serve in the ministry of the church. We need more and more people that are going to step up and do ministry. A person who's a member in the church should be serving in the ministry of the church. Number three, support the mission of the church. These are simple. Number four, live a sent life in faith. In other words, that I'm going to pray for people on a daily basis that I know are lost, that don't know Jesus Christ, and I want to I want to pray that God's going to use me to reach them with the gospel. Four simple, very easy things that you can go home and do. Grab the cards as you go. Be generous when you give. Serve those. Because I want to leave you with this, and I've heard a number of pastors say this. Found people, find people, and save people, serve people. Found people, find people. And save people, serve people. That's the true calling to live a sent life. See, when we focus on worshiping God, then our lives are touched by the grace of God and we are sent in obedience. To God's calling. And I want to leave you with this. This is the last quote. John Stott, Anglican pastor said at one point in time, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. He did not die for just Americans. He did not die for just white people. He did not die for people who speak only English. He is a global God and he is about the nations. And so we want to live set lives to take Jesus Christ to our neighbor's in the nations. As a matter of fact, I think, is that last slide up or did I already skip that? One more time, just real quick with the picture of what we do. All right, next one. Is it not up there anymore? The one with, the, there we go. That's our vision statement. You remember that. Believe the truth of Jesus Christ. To belong to a church, to the cause bigger than themselves to become everything that God created me to be. As I grow in, in the grace and knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is, and as a result of that, because of worship, because of what's going on, I am sent to my neighbors and the nations. At some point in time, when we get enough money, I'm telling you, we're going to have big fat signs out here. As you leave the church, you are now entering the mission field, period, because that's what you are. You are missionaries sent out into the field to reach your friends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's, Let's close. Father, we pray today, God, that you would use us. God, that we would be people who are open and obedient and would respond to your call. That, God, you would raise up leaders. You would raise up people who are going to serve, because we know we have more ministry here in the church that needs to be done. But, God, may we not just focus solely on what takes place here in the building, God, but we would be focused on those who are outside. Why? Because found people find people and save people serve people. And so, God, I pray just as we respond simply as as, as, as we let worship of God be ultimate here, that we would walk in obedience. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we stand and sing, as we close with this, if you have any questions you wanna talk about who Jesus is, I'll be up here at the front. Don't let that stop you. If at the end you don't respond during that time and at the end you wanna talk to somebody, I'll be right back there. There There's nothing that can stop you from coming to Christ other than the simple fact of you not taking the step out in obedience.